church last week, we kicked off a brand new series entitled Find Your Pace. Find Your Pace. And we're going to continue today uh, with week two. And, and this is a series that is, is very easy for me to preach while also being challenged. I'm just going to be honest with you. Pace is something that I have had to put an aggressive amount of work into. It's something that I always have to keep in front of me. Um, recent, this week I was meeting with a, a church member, and he and I, we, we were talking about how, how we have to work hard to rest well. Like, we have to give ourselves, so we have to combat so many lies to rest. Like, it's okay to be resting, right? Sometimes your mind starts going, yeah, but I should be doing this, or I should be doing this, or what about this, or what about this thing? It's like, no, 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 give yourself permission. We got to give ourselves permission to breathe, and to rest, and to find a healthy pace, and that that's okay. Um, it's good to do that. And, and we see, um, you know, the reality that time and time again in the Bible, it tells us that we're to walk like Jesus did. We're to walk in the way of Jesus. And that this way is, is, is a way that it has a great pace. Jesus, he walked everywhere he went. He walked. He didn't choose all these other modes of transportation that were available to him at the time, but he had a pace that was slow. And I want to read a verse to sort of kick us off today. And, um, and, and this verse is one that, um, this one's a challenge for me. And I'm just going to put it out there just to start off our Sunday morning. And it comes from the Psalms. And uh, by the way, if you ever feel like you're getting bogged down in reading the Word and trying to get in the Bible, sometimes for me, my come up for air is I just go to Psalms or Proverbs. There's, there's been times I've taken just a whole month, and I just read a proverb a day, and I just slow down other than studying for sermons and stuff, but just for my own intake. Sometimes you feel this pressure to take in too much, but sometimes we need to sit on a verse like this one, Psalms 127.2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. <laughs> this is a pace verse. This is a pace verse. I got to get up early. I got to crack a dawn. I got to be doing all the things before everyone else. I met with another person this week, and he was talking about how for a while in his life, he got up at 5 a.m. because that's what he was heard successful people did. You ever heard that? Like, successful people, they're up at 5 a.m. You better get up at 5 a.m. every single day. You better go, you better go 5 a.m. Burn the candle at both ends if you ever want to be successful. Yeah, but for how long can you sustain that? How long can you keep it up? And yet here we see this heart of our Savior. We see the heart of God, our Creator, that He gives to His beloved sleep. He values our pace. He values our pace. And again, this does not mean that we don't work hard, but he's going, I value the pace. Right? There's phrases. Oh, we've got so many phrases. We could do quotes for days on slowing down, right? Slow down and smell the roses. Take the road less traveled, right? There's these phrases. You have to walk before you can run. There's these incremental steps. We create phrases to say, hey, you got you to gotta hang out. You know, even uh, yesterday, we were at the Apple Orchard in Minnetonka. Shout out to Minnetonka Orchards. This is for free. They're, they're killing it. Best orchard. I was like, oh my goodness. It is so good. We had the greatest experience at Minnetonka Orchard yesterday. And then we were, uh, you know, looking for ways home. And, and it was a six-minute longer drive to take all the back roads through the small towns. And we're like, we got six minutes to burn. Let's do it. And we took the scenic road. Why? Because sometimes we can get too obsessed with that pace, and we don't take that road less traveled. We don't slow down. And our world is only getting faster. 
I don't even have to like talk on this for a long time or throw up all the stats to, to convince us that our world is moving faster. It's actually, uh, they say that the projection for all the data in the world is going to triple in the next four years. Triple in the next four years. All the data that we currently have, there'll be three times that amount of data by 2025. Three times what is current today. We're going to triple it. And how long have we been compiling that data? And yet we're going to do that in a three-year or four-year span of time. The world is speeding up. It's time to talk about pace. And it is. This is something that Renee and I have a, have a sense of value to. And, uh, and when we were younger, uh, it took a little bit more. But sometimes we learned to slow down and, and like, see stuff or appreciate things or, or value some time. And I remember actually on our honeymoon was one of the first times uh, Renee helped because I, I was really bad at this, and Renee knows this. And, and I was always just like, next thing, next thing, next thing, always trying to move, 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 move. Well, we went to New York City for our honeymoon. We went to New York City. Um, our anniversary is November 15th, and so it was November 15th. It's right. It's fall. It's just before Thanksgiving, and this was our strategy. We were so broke um, uh, coming out of our wedding that we had no money for our honeymoon, and so what we did was we said, hey, let's have a huge wedding with no, um, like, we'll just open invite our wedding and see how much money we can get, and then that money will go to our honeymoon because we have no money for a honeymoon. So we literally go into our wedding day with our bank account at negative. This is not healthy advice. I'm not advising this anybody. And then uh, we ended up having over 500 people at our wedding, over 500 people at our wedding. We're like, this strategy is great. The thing we didn't think through though, is that we were uh, youth pastors. So like, (laughs) so like not a lot of people with money, right? (laughs) Like we just didn't think through our sphere of influence very well. What we should have done is be like, mom and dad, give us all of your friends. We want all of your friends to get a special invite. That's what we should have done. And so uh, we, we literally, we literally get, on our wedding night, the first thing we did, open up cards to see how much money we had for our honeymoon. No joke. First step, first step, plan of action. And we open it up, and we realize uh, we didn't quite get our goal number of money here, okay? We're a little short. So we're like, we could probably get maybe two to three strong days in New York City. But we still, we got in our car, and we drove to New York City. And on this drive, I learned something about my wife. I learned that she had an obsession, something that she loved uh, beyond a lot of other things, and she had a favorite animal, that her favorite animal was actually turkeys. Turkeys were her favorite animal. She's like, no, 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 Sam, what you don't understand is, is God really loves me. He lets me see turkeys whenever things aren't going well. He brings turkeys. I, I see turkeys all the time. And I was like, babe, well, we're not going to see turkeys on this trip. We're going to New York City. Like, there's no wild turkeys. It's not in the cards. And she goes, nope, God loves me. Watch, we're going to see a turkey in New York City. And I'm like, babe. And I start arguing. I'm like, we're not going to see a turkey in New York City. And on our second day in New York City, we're actually feeling bummed. We're broke. We're not, we're realizing we're not going to get to stay long. This wasn't the trip that we dreamed. And we're kind of in this, this mood. And all of a sudden we're walking down by the, the park area where you can see the Statue of Liberty, whatever that's called. And we're down there. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden we hear, and we turn and there in the middle of New York City is a wild turkey. I kid you, you can't make this up. There's a wild turkey. And babe go, and Renee goes, see, I told you God loves me. And, <laughs> and what's crazy is there's a wild turkey and no one else is noticing it. 
No one else is no, They're all moving on to their next thing. They're going on their next thing. But in the middle of New York City, this wild turkey just made our trip, put a smile on Renee's face, made this encouraging moment, right? This is crazy. We're seeing a wild turkey. But I remember realizing it wasn't the center of attention. It wasn't being noticed because so many people, right? How much do we miss? How much do we fail to ask for? Even something as simple as how fun would it be to see a turkey? Because our pace is moving. And in a place like New York City, pace is different, right? They are fast moving. They're going. They're nonstop. They're moving it. But I wonder, right, in this moment, the pace of our trip allowed us to pause and enjoy this turkey. But I wonder, does your pace allow for a pause? Is your current life pace, does your current speed allow you to pause? And for some of you, you're like, yep, I can. Others of you are going, I don't, I don't know. I mean, pausing means I might slow down. Pausing might mean I throw off my calendar. Pausing might mean that there is an issue. And, and if I'm being honest, a, a healthy pause is an easy to defend part of the Christian faith. Like, like having space in our life and a willingness to pause when we feel compelled by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. This pause, it's an easy thing. This idea that Christians, Christ followers, should, should notice what no one else does. Notice things that other people might miss. Catch things that is so often overlooked. Care about somebody who other people naturally look past, look beyond. This is easy. I could pick a litany of stories to to break down and to talk about what it means to have a pace where you can pause. And the one story that I want to dive into is we look at the person of Jesus being the example of what it looks like to have a healthy pace is a story late in his ministry. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem where we know um, there's a sense of urgency with all of his followers to get to Jerusalem because they think this is when it's going to start happening. They're kind of gearing up for like a revolt. They're kind of gearing up for him to come in riding on a white horse. We know the end of the story. He actually comes in riding on a donkey, but they're on the way. There's momentum, okay? This is not a casual part of Jesus' ministry story. This is when his following is at its largest. This is when momentum is at his back. This is when people are excited. This is when people are fired up. They're kind of getting ready to charge the hill. We've got our people. We've got our disciples. We've got our followers. We have momentum. The whole world is looking at us. Got to capitalize, Jesus. Everything you say matters right now. You better, you better say the right thing. You better do that. We got to speed up. We got to take some ground. We got to take some ground. Get rid of these Romans. We need to revolt. This needs to happen. And, and we read in Luke chapter 19 and verse 1 that, he and his followers, they, they entered Jericho and were passing through. This actually matters. They were passing through. There was no intent to stay. There was no plan to stay in Jericho. The intent was we're just moving past Jericho. We're going to keep going, and we're heading to Jerusalem. We're going to where it really matters, where it really counts. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Tax collectors of this uh, regard were very negatively looked down upon because most tax collectors for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, were actually Jews themselves who would collect the taxes for the Romans. And so they were hated. They were often controlled by the Roman Empire and they were looked down upon. They were often ostracized and cast out from certain communities. 
in space. And he was a tax collector, and he was, he was very rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. It's another important sentence. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. What does this mean? He's curious. And at this point, that's about it. Who is this guy? Everyone's talking about him. I just want to see Jesus. I just want to get a feel. I want to get a look at who he is and what he's about. And uh, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Again, momentum, crowds, everyone's following. Everyone's excited. They're fired up. But he was also could not see because he was small in stature. Come on, give it up for the shorter people in the place. This is your moment. So he ran on ahead. And he, do you see I didn't look at anybody? Do you see that? I kept looking down. I'm a smart pastor, okay? I'm smart, you guys. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus paused, he looked up, and he changed his plans immediately. I'm going to pass through. Nope. Now I plan to stay because I just saw something. I just saw something. I saw something that needs to be addressed. I saw something that needs my attention. I saw something that requires a pause. Requires a pause. And so he says, I'm going to stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Joyfully. And when they saw it, the disciples, they all, they all, meaning the disciples, those gathered, the crowd grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Seek and to save the lost. Before we begin to dissect this passage, I want to pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this story, this scripture today. And Lord, help us to, to learn what we need to learn from it. Help us to understand what we need to understand from it today. Jesus, would you speak so clearly to each of us this morning? We love you and we worship you. And everybody said, amen. So when you read a story like this, like this story is like preaching gold. I, I, I truly, truly, I could come up with 30 sermon titles off this single passage, right? And, and so when we enter into stories like this, it's, it's pretty impossible in a, the next, you know, 25 to, to 20 to 25 minutes to really break down this whole passage and, and to, to look at every angle. And so I really want us this morning in the sake of the series and the find your pace message, we're, we're going to really look at two parts to this story, two parts. The first part I really want to dive into, look deeper into, is this reality that Jesus paused, that he stopped, and he changed his plans. I want us to look at the fact that Jesus paused, and then second, I want to really dive in. This is the part I'm most excited for. Why were the disciples grumbling? I want to really look at why were they grumbling? Why were they grumbling? Because what I believe is happening when Jesus does things, I wonder if this is a church that believes that a man like Jesus would do things intentionally or by accident. I believe he's doing things intentionally. I believe he's doing things um, uh, often as he's setting an example. He was a rabbi. 
Rabbis actually wanted their disciples to do what they did, to live like they did. We talk about this all the time, you know, not obsessing over the doing, but being, being with Jesus, being like Jesus. So here he is. He's trying to set an example. He's trying to set an example. And the first example he sets for us today is this reality that Jesus paused. He paused. And last week we talked about the power of pacing our emotions and when our emotions just get out of whack and crazy and we lose sight and we lose control of our emotions, our life immediately starts to speed up and spiral out of control. But when we can have a healthy pace with our emotions and how we handle the things that come at us and happen around us, that we can stay healthier. And, and, and we talked about, again, Jesus' pace, the way he walked, and all of this stuff. But, but, but what he, why he walked was part of what we talked about. We, we, we address the reality that I believe Jesus walked often to connect and better connect with humans. To understand, to empathize, to get close, to care deeply about our, our, our emotions, the way we feel, all of those things. And here's a moment that proves this even greater. Because Jesus has the gall to stop what he's doing to focus on Zacchaeus a tax collector, somebody who, again, would have been considered on the outside, right? No, the, the, the crowd wasn't going to park to let Zacchaeus through. No chance. They weren't going to create space for this man. No, no, no. He was on the outside of the community, which is highlighted by the fact he has to climb a tree to get to Jesus. In fact, I wonder, because there seems to be some knowledge around who Zacchaeus is, I actually wonder if he was being blocked out. Because typically when you're in a crowd, do you ever do this in a concert? Hey, you're shorter than me. Go in front, right? Like in, in photos, when you take pictures, I typically stand somewhere, I'm like right in the middle, six foot, right? I'm usually not in all the way in the back and I'm not usually all the way in the front. I'm kind of right. But you organize so everybody can be seen. And, and typically in a crowd, a short man would maybe be allowed to move front. But I think there was a little bit of like, nope, not you, Zacchaeus sort of blocking off. You know how that is. You've been in that crowd and you're like, oh, no one's getting past me. Babe, get close. We're going to, you know, we got we to gotta be strong here. Like, don't let anyone push through. We own this crowd, you know. There's no chance of him getting through. But yet Jesus paused, looks up at this tree. I actually wonder, Zacchaeus, kind of his posture for climbing a tree, was he behind the branches? Do you ever try to visualize it? Was he behind the branches? Or was he like, woo! Jesus, I don't think he was doing that. I'm up here. He's probably kind of hiding. And actually, wouldn't that really put yourself in those shoes? Wouldn't it be a little shameful for a rich man to climb a tree? Isn't that a little shameful? Like, like that's a little beneath you, isn't it? You're rich. You're going to climb a tree? Really? So maybe he climbed hesitantly, hoping maybe that people didn't notice hoping that maybe people didn't see him and he's, he's hiding in this tree and yet here's Jesus seeing Zacchaeus, stopping for Zacchaeus and having a conversation. What this, one of the major things this tells us is the reality of the truth that, 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 that right man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. He saw something. He saw something in Zacchaeus. And, and as he peers in, he's going, there's something going on. This is a big moment. If that man would climb that tree just to get a glimpse of me, what would happen if I got dinner with him? What would happen if I showed up to his house? What would happen if I actually talked to him? 
you know, we all kind of desire sometimes this moment, right? Just to be noticed. You ever had that? You're like, man, I just want to be noticed. I want the preacher to call me out, give me a prophetic word. I want the concert, the, the concert. I want to get close up front in case they call someone up to sing on stage or dance on stage. I, just, I want at, at the games. I, I just want to be on the jumbotron. How many of you have done some crazy stuff to try to get on a jumbotron? I have. I've only succeeded once. Just me and my wife. That's odd. Uh, we are those kinds of people. We like to be noticed, okay? Uh, if you have a problem with that. Uh, <laughs> right? It's like, hey, here I am. Some of you guys, that's your worst nightmare. You're like, get that kiss cam off of me. I'm not kissing anybody in public. That is a private act. Remove it, right? We get noticed, and here Zacchaeus gets this moment. You see, one thing I think many of us run into is pausing, looking, seeing, caring. One issue with this, what Jesus does, is now you are involved. You ever see something where it's like out of the ordinary? Maybe it's somebody on the side of the road with a broken down car somebody who's crying on a park bench, something out of the ordinary that makes you just notice what's going on there, somebody that looks more disheveled than usual, someone that just has, the, the, that you can tell they're struggling, right? And, and you know if you ask and you find out, now there's a sense of obligation. You ever felt this? Like if I, if I pause, I might get involved, and I don't know if I have time to get involved. Because I'm going somewhere. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm on a mission. I've got places. We have momentum. We're trying to accomplish something. So I can't, I can't pause. I can't stop. But I want us to realize what Jesus is trying to tell us. I, I want to at least suggest that what Jesus is trying to tell us is that people are not obligations that Jesus has for you. They're not obligations. They are opportunities to show who Jesus is for them. What, what I mean by this is, is if we see pausing for people as an oblig obligatory part of the Christian faith, and now we just, ah, got to stop, guess I got to help, got to do something, got to pull over, got to say hi, got to talk, got to have a conversation, got to pause for them. All of a sudden, if that's an obligation, not an opportunity, we're going to come into it different than Jesus did. And we're going to get to the fact that the, that the disciples saw it as an obligation, Jesus saw it as an opportunity. He saw the posture of this person's heart. Hey, if that guy's willing to climb that tree, something's going on. And I'm going to talk to him. And I'm going to have a conversation. And I'm going to change my plans. We cannot, church, I don't, don't hear me wrong. This is, could be one of those messages where I'm like, hey, your whole schedule nonstop should always be controlled by every other person. No, I'm not saying that. Jesus didn't pause for everybody. Jesus didn't. He paused for Zacchaeus, but we don't see him pause. Actually, there's a woman that we read about in the story that she actually has to crawl to Jesus, press through the crowd, and touch the hem of his garment to get healed. And, and then he paused, but he didn't pause preemptively there. So we, we see that Jesus paused for everyone, but he kept a pace that if there was a moment that arrived, he could pause and he could help, and he could play his part. We cannot pause for everyone, but we can, if, we, if our pace is correct, we can discern when to stop for the right ones, the ones that God tells us to, the one he encourages us to. A phrase that I think of all the time as a pastor, right? There, there's this, uh, it's very easy 
if, especially if you're in ministry, but I think every Christian feels this when the needs are so much greater than what you can personally meet, it can be overwhelming. Like, how do we actually help? How do I actually make a difference? How do I move the needle with the, with, with the homeless population? How do I move the needle with, with, with families in poverty? How do I move the needle with these different things? How do I move the needle when all of my coworkers don't know Jesus? And, and who do I start trying to show the love? Like, where does this even begin? And a phrase that brings some freedom for me is this idea that at least do for one what you wish you could do for all. At least do for one. See, what a lot of times we do is we get overwhelmed by the needs so we don't help anybody. It's just too big, it's too much. And yet so often Jesus brings his whole ministry to a halt for one. And that example is then seen by people. And then they pause for the one who then set an example for other people who then pause for the one, who then set an example for other people who then pause for the one, and then who set an example for other people who then pause for the one. And what starts to happen is the impact begins to grow. That's why we're to go into the world and make disciples, not converts. Because, because my example has to mean something. So, so I can't do this for everybody, but if I can do this for one, at least... It's going to set an example, and that's what I believe Jesus is showing us here. He's saying, hey, no plan is too big when I feel like I'm supposed to minister, when I feel like I'm supposed to love, when I feel like I'm supposed to pause for the one. And today that one is Zacchaeus. Today it's Zacchaeus. And, uh, and I don't even want to say this. I think this might just alleviate some pressure for someone. Notice that Jesus didn't just jump to trying to get Zacchaeus to say some prayer of salvation, but he actually led him in a perspective shift on his life that saw him change how he viewed what he did. He says, hey, I'm going to shift my finances. I'm going to shift these things. And sometimes I think we're so intimidated that if we don't get them to say the prayer of salvation immediately, then we're failing. If we pause as a Christ follower and they don't immediately accept Jesus, their personal Lord and Savior, and get water baptized that day, that we failed. And yet sometimes obedience to the one looks like a small perspective shift. What if they had a lie in their head that no Christian actually cares, and yet you showed up and you cared, and you're moving the needle. I just felt like that was a word for someone. Just do something. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. Step up. So the first thing we see that Jesus models is he pauses, and then we see this issue that the disciples don't like the pause. They start to grumble. I don't like that we're stopping. Don't you remember? We're going somewhere. And why are we stopping for a tax collector? Why are we stopping for a tax collector? I want to read this one more time. And when they saw it, the disciples, they all grumbled. It's interesting. Don't you think, though, that the grumbling probably started with one who set the tone, and then they all followed that tone? Isn't that typical how it is? Right? We see other people set the example of grumbling, so then we follow suit and we start to grumble and gossip and talk bad about people. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Here's some interesting thoughts about this. Jesus already had a reputation of eating with sinners. Why were his disciples surprised at this point? He'd already eaten with lots of sinners. And in fact, here's another interesting thought. Matthew would have been one of these in this group. Matthew himself was a tax collector. So, so in Jesus' inner circle, there was already a tax collector. So why are they so upset that he's going to meet with this tax collector? It's actually an interesting thing to start to think about. 
Why, why, would they, why would they start to grumble? Why would they start to moan? Could it be that they had started to feel a little elitist? Could it be that they had started to feel a little special? Could it be that they thought they had their crew that was then going to go take Jerusalem, that they were set, that they didn't need any more disciples? We got our group. We're exclusive. Have you ever seen this happen sometimes in church where people get a really good Bible study going? And so we just stay in our really good Bible study. We, no, no, we got a good thing going. We don't want to mess this up. If Zacchaeus shows up, our flow is going to get thrown off. I mean, what if he, I mean, what if he showed up with a bottle of wine? Are you kidding me? We can't do this. No, 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 no. That would make me uncomfortable. Can't do that. Can't have Zacchaeus show up. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Right? All of a sudden, we, start to get, we can get these groups, and we can get, start to feel like we're special, like, like we're different. We can start to forget our past, forget where we came from, forget when we were Zacchaeus, and go, whoa, 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 why is Zacchaeus the point of attention? We got a plan, Jesus. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Even I've been rereading Proverbs, and there's so many verses on us making our plans, but God directing our steps. Us making our plans, but God telling us where to go. Us making our plans, but God's like, cute, but I got something else. Like, you're going to make your plans, but he's going to deviate. I can't consistently see this. So the disciples are here, and they're grumbling, and they're moaning, and they're groaning. And they're going, I don't want to associate with that type of person. I don't want to associate. We, right, we want to get to Jerusalem already. We don't have time for this. Let's not associate with that sinner. And I want to encourage this church. It's so important, I think a really bold lesson that we can see from this is we cannot avoid association based off of our assumptions. We make it really easy. Your assumptions should never determine who you associate with. This is where a lot of hurt has happened in our world. Because you're from that country, I assume this about you. Because you were raised in that city, I assume this about you because those were your parents. I assume this about you because this is your socioeconomic status. I assume this about you because you went to that place and did that thing. I assume this about you. Your story doesn't matter. Your motives don't matter. Your journey doesn't matter to me. I've made my assumptions. I've drawn a line in the sand and I have decided that there is division. I have decided that, that I'm not going to associate with you. And isn't it crazy? Church, like, it's wild how fast our brains does it. Like, we don't even feel it happening sometimes. Let's just be honest. Like, sometimes th this can happen so quickly. Where we see someone, right, we always have to combat our first impressions. I used to be somebody who'd be like, oh man, I'm great at first impressions. I don't tout that anymore. Because I actually have to fight first impressions. Because what if it's a negative one? If you think you're amazing at first impressions and you can read people, I'm, I'm just really good at reading people. And then you get a bad first impression, now you've read them as somebody that you don't want to associate with. And you've jumped the gun. You don't know why they are that way. You don't know why they were in a mood that day. You don't know why they were struggling. You know what they came from. And here the disciples decided, hey, our group is set. We're not really open to this kind of thing. We've sort of figured it out. And so we're going to grumble. We, we don't want them there. And, and our assumptions around Zacchaeus mean we do not want to associate with him. And even more than that, right, they could make it sound spiritual. Jesus, we're trying to protect you and your image. Like, this is not good for your brand. 
okay? You have a brand going right now. I don't know if you know, but there's a huge crowd following us. And, and, and if we allow this to come in and, and somebody sees that, I mean, what if that goes viral? Cancel culture's coming for you, Jesus. They're going to, ca- you eat with Zacchaeus. I mean, we, we made it past, you know, we made it past a woman pouring perfume and wiping, you know, your feet with her hair. That was weird, but no one caught, no, nobody caught that on camera. We, we, we got through unscathed. So like, like Jesus, come on now, like the short man in the tree. That's just, I mean, that's a meme waiting to happen, Jesus. Don't do it. Well, you can make it sound so spiritual. You can make it sound like you have Jesus' best interest in mind if you're a disciple. You could spin it real easy. And yet Jesus doesn't bat an eyelash at their grumbling. I actually find it interesting. Maybe he did, but at least the author here does not tell us that Jesus rebuked their grumbling. He let them grumble while making an example. And making a lesson. And later he goes on to teach off of it. And it's interesting too, another perspective, that a little thing we could put in here as the, the band comes on up. It's interesting as well that this comes off the tail end of a story about a rich young ruler who when faced with the reality of sacrificing finances, walked away sad and didn't do it. And Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Another thing I could think about is you think there started to be a bit of a, when you think about the, the disciples, maybe they were a little proud of their poverty. Like, like, like hey, hey, actually, you know, rich men, they don't really have a part to play in this. So Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And here we see a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Today, salvation has come to your house. So he says it's hard, and, and yet I'm going to do it right now. It's going to happen because Zacchaeus, there's something in your heart. I see where you're at. And when presented with truth, he made a change. Shifted. He said, I'll give. I'll be generous. Well, whatever it is, if I've done anything unjust, I'll look through it in a kind heart. Got wrapped up in something. The disciples are there going, saying all this stuff. It's a rich man. We're not a rich man's ministry. Remember, remember the rich young ruler? He didn't come. Did it right. They're grumbling. They're talking. We don't want to be associated with him. I don't know. We're caused a line of division. We don't associate with those types of people. But church, I have been so burdened by the amount of disunity in our world, in our churches. And we will find anything to cause partisanship, right? Like, like, hey, let's divide on this. Let's, let's divide. What side are you on? Oh, you're over there? I'm over here, so we can't be friends. Issues that when you break down the emotion and you have a healthy emotion like we talked about last week, you pace your emotions, all of a sudden you look and you go, this is not a reason to lose a friend. This is not a reason to lose a brother or sister in Christ. This is not a reason to cause division. Yes, there's disagreement, but it's not worth division. And one thing we see is that the disciples want to make sure there's some disunity between, some division between them and Zacchaeus because of disagreements. And it would have been very politically driven. Politically, they don't like Zacchaeus. He's connected to the Roman Empire. church, I, I wonder if we've 
had moments in the last year where because of a point of disagreement, we've allowed disunity to come. And what, what we want sometimes is more like, hey, I just want people who agree with me on everything. Isn't that hilarious? You'll never find that person. They don't exist. Want to know why I love being married to my wife? Because she disagrees with me. And that makes me better. Babe, you're wrong. Let me challenge them. In the same way, I don't disagree with her. In this last week, we have both called each other out on very pointed things. Hey, nope. We've built that in our relationship. Oh, that's right. Disagree with me. Push back. Maybe any healthy relationship has some tension. And so, so we have to realize we got to allow some people in. So, so what are you afraid of that would make you stay away from certain people? It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. Jesus is not telling you to stay away. So we can't do what the disciples did and find a way to make it sound spiritual. Is it fear of people's opinions? Is it fear of obligations? Getting involved? Is it fear of having to have challenging conversations where your point of view might be challenged? Might cause you to think differently about something? Is it fear of having to address why you're so triggered by that person? Well, if I get close to them, I might have to figure out why I don't want to get close to them. Because they're triggering for me. And then I got to deal with something in my past that causes me to react so sharply to this tax collector Zacchaeus. What is it? Jesus in this story is intentionally breaking out of Israel's ethnic, social, and political contexts. And, and yet it's not just for fun. Because what does he say in verse 9? And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. What's the promise to Abraham? All peoples. All peoples. The promise of Abraham is being found out in this exact room. Without that promise and without Jesus being the fulfillment of it, we don't come and get to do what Jesus or what Alex said uh, at the end of worship there. This is the proper reality. All of us gathered, all peoples, all nations, from tribes, tongues, backgrounds coming together. That's what it's supposed to look like. And in this room, I could sit down with every single one of you and find something we disagree on in our world today. And are we okay with that? Can you have unity within a diverse group of thought? Jesus values diversity beyond the color of our skin or background. There can be a diversity of thought in church. And, but notice I said thought. Not, 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 I'm not just saying, hey, we all need to have different theologies. And we need to, right, every healthy community of believers has some fundamental principles that base uh, our basis of our faith and tenets of our faith, things that we don't shy away from, things like the gospel, things like Jesus' death, his resurrection, things that we need to have things like we believe that the Holy Spirit is active today. That's a big thing for our church. Hey, we can, Holy Spirit's with us, right? We need to have those things. But at the end of the day, a, a boardroom of a few individuals cannot lock down belief systems on every little detail of the American life. It's not possible. So there will be some disagreement. There will be some diverse thoughts. And Jesus shows that he loved to challenge his disciples on who they associate even if there was minor disagreements. 
There will be disagreement in every community under heaven. But diversity within a community can still lead to unity. So a diverse thought, a diverse background, a diverse approach, diverse personality types, all of it, all of it. We were made in the image of God. You were created perfect and beautiful. You're amazing. You are a wonderful creation. Just so, I mean, you're so incredible and you have a place. And Jesus, or Zacchaeus, was the perfect person for Jesus to model this upside-down kingdom with. He was rich, he was unpopular, he was unattractive, he was, he was in this place that everyone was drawn to him. Showcased how we are to react. So church, let me leave you with this. As we go into worship for one moment. Our pace needs to allow space for people that are outside of our preferences. Sit on this for a second. Are you running at a speed that doesn't allow you to pause? Find a way to create that space. Who are you avoiding phone calls with? Who are the difficult people? What are the challenges you're facing? Can you at least do for one what you wish you could do for all? Can we, can we adjust our pace so that we can have space to include some people in our lives? To let some people in sometimes. It's not always fun. But it's what Jesus is modeling for us. And what if, even further, that person is outside of your preferred social group? We all have preferred people in a sense, just people that we're a little more comfortable with, similar background, similar story. But the message of Jesus says we have to get outside of that. He continually went and talked to people that he shouldn't have been talking to according to society. Have to be okay with this break out of our comfort zones, include some people, love some people. There's even some of you in this room that have experienced moments where you feel a little bit more like Zacchaeus than the disciples or Jesus. We didn't even emphasize for those of you in the room who you're like, I feel like I'm on the outside peering in. I feel like church has its doors closed on me. I feel like, I feel like I'm on the outside trying to climb in and see if I can peek in and get a glimpse of Jesus past all the Christians. Can I tell you, Jesus sees you. He sees you. He loves you. And salvation can come to your house today. Jesus wants to meet with you. He sees you. Man, I feel that so strongly right now. You felt on the outside, peering in. Can I tell you that this is a church? We're not going to grumble about Jesus meeting with you. We're going to go with Jesus. And we want to meet with you. We want to get to know you. We want to love you. We want to welcome you. You don't have to look perfect to attend here. None of us are perfect. We're flawed. We're messed up. But we're journeying together. And we love you. We're so glad you're here. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want us to take a moment. Some of you need to realize that you need to follow the example of Jesus and just pace your life better so you can pause. Some of you have been grumbling about people that you're supposed to be loving. And he's challenging you on that fact. How can you love them? I still firmly believe this church that when it says what we do for the least of these, we do 
unto him, I firmly believe the best definition of the least of these is the, those that you naturally overlook. Zacchaeus was being overlooked. Who have you been grumbling about and overlooking that Jesus is saying, hey, I need you to love. I need you to support. Some of us have been grumbling. Some of us have been running too fast to care. And then some of us relate to Zacchaeus. We're just trying to peer through the crowd and try to get a glimpse of Jesus because we need some hope. We need some love. Life is hard. We're trying to figure it out. Whatever it is, if you want me to pray for you right now, just raise a hand. Say, hey, I'm feeling impacted by this message and what's going on in this room, and I'm feeling challenged. And, and, and just raise a hand so I know who I'm praying for. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Okay, 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 okay. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would meet all those people with their hands up, saying they're feeling a challenge or they're feeling loved or they're feeling heard. Whatever it is, Lord Jesus, that's going through them, whether they relate with Zacchaeus, whether they relate with your example or the disciples, Lord Jesus, whatever part of this story they're seeing themselves through, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet them, you would encourage them, you would challenge them, and you would love them. You would support them. And Holy Spirit, I pray that right now as we begin to transition into a moment of worship, would you meet with us in this space? Would you do what only you could do and have your way today? We love you and we worship you. Come on, church, would you stand all across this place?